I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. We are back again with another episode of Bitches on Comics. This is especially exciting because we are in the Halloween-y horror month, which is the one that I really like a lot amongst all of the months. Most months have something good about them, but this one every day is good. I always have a blast during October. I'm in a place where the leaves are falling. Everything is just absolutely beautiful. It's not hot anymore, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know where everybody else is and what the weather's doing where you're at, but hopefully it's doing something pleasant as well. So I am Sarah Century, one of the hosts of Bitches on Comics. Of course, there are other hosts. They are not here today. However, <laughs> we have a guest today. And I would like you to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Danielle Page. Um, I'm the author. Most uh, people know me from Dorothy Must Die, um, which is a book where another girl from Kansas lands in Oz and has to fight an evil Dorothy. And um, most recently, I just wrote a comic for Archie Comics uh, for Fear of the Funhouse, Toy Box of Terror. And I wrote a story about Cheryl, which is uh, kind of a take on Megan uh, with a Cheryl doll. It's like right from there, I have so many directions that this conversation can go right now. (laughs) 
I've seen you do, uh, now I just found out about the Star Wars anthology. There's the Archie horror, you know, and then of course, something like Dorothy Must Die is very much entrenched in kind of classic literature. Uh, I get the sense basically that you have a lot of interest. <laughs> so I guess I'm trying to like ask in like a way that makes sense. Like you're kind of, uh, I, I believe interested in a lot of existing franchises, if I'm not wrong about this. And I'd just like to hear a little bit about, you know, your first like reading experiences. Like how did you find your way to Oz? You know, <laughs> like where were your starting points, I guess? Um, I guess for me, like when I was a little, a little kid, um, we got to write, and they don't do this anymore, I'm sure, but when I was in first grade, everybody got to write their own little story and their teacher published it and a little book with like wallpaper cover over it. And, and that was my first time writing a story. And I, I was six years old and I decided I definitely want to be a writer. Um, I didn't know how to do that, but that was like my decision way back when. <laughs> um, and I love fairy tales. That book was a fairy tale. And I love The Wizard of Oz. I probably watched it absolutely every time it came on. And um, I also uh, read the books my mom gave me, like that little set mm -hmm. of The Wizard of Oz, like in a box. And I was obsessed. I never imagined that I'd end up writing a story about it. But that was my start. Um, and then in terms of like becoming a writer, I, I honestly thought that I had to be a journalist. So I went to Columbia. I, I, I thought that I was going to go to journalism school afterwards. And while I was there, I took an internship at Guiding Light, a soap opera. And mm. I ended up writing scripts. And I think that writing for this group of existing characters was honestly like the start of my career. And I think that's how I processed writing after that. So I've written in a lot of existing worlds and it makes sense to me somehow. That just blew my mind because I grew up not watching Guiding Light, but I was like an all my children house, right? But that no. means that you watch like all of the soaps that are on, you know? So it was like, oh, well, I watched all my children, but now I'm going to watch General Hospital because they're on the same network, right? Yes, I was a CBS girl. Yeah, so I remember watching soap operas like a lot, a lot, a lot, like all through my teen years. And I think about that stuff a lot because I'm like, soap operas are like, they just go so hard. Like they have to do this every day, you know, it's like um, like five days a week, right? Is like constant writing, coming up with new things for these characters to be doing, making callbacks, <laughs> like introducing yes. new characters, bringing back old characters, somebody died, they're here again, like twins, everything. And I'm just like, the continuity just puts like sometimes like the MCU to shame a little bit, honestly. So I think it absolutely prepared me to write a comic book. Because yes, <laughs> definitely. I think those are they're also like giant worlds with lots of continuity. And sometimes you just choose to ignore the continuity. So but I do, like I, I really did like I think soaps really taught me everything. They like, actually made me a fantasy writer because I think my natural bent when I was like 20 I think I would have just wanted to write stories that were about girls like me and I wouldn't have written stories that were so far away from me. And mm. like writing for a soap, one day you're writing for ghosts and then the next way you're writing <laughs> about clones. And then you're still writing those intimate scenes and like the, the about people having affairs and just falling in love and doing all the things that, that I, I definitely, uh, I understood the smaller things, but getting, having to write the bigger things, like we had earthquakes and princes and like all the, and every week you'd get a new assignment and, and it would be like, 
how do I write this? Oh, wait, I have to make this make sense. And so when I finally started creating my own world, I knew how to do that. And Mm. I think I never had this feeling of like, I can't do that because it's more, it was like I had to write everything. So why can't I write anything? And I think that gave me a confidence going like leap from the soaps um, that I don't think I would have had otherwise. This is blowing my mind. (laughs) I'm like so excited because I had no idea. Like somehow, I mean, I've read a lot about your writing and now I'm just like, oh, that completely caught me off guard because I have a great admiration for soaps. I think that they can be really fun and um, honestly kind of cool. Like they always have these very high stakes stuff. You know, now I see something like... um, like I was a big fan of Riverdale while it was on. And that's just straight up a soap opera too, right? It's like yes. so off the rails kind of. So I so love Riverdale. <laughs> oh, good to hear. Because <laughs> I was going to say like that kind of brings us back to obviously Archie Horror. We just had uh, Jamie Rotante on the show not too long ago. And it's one of my favorite interviews. It seems like it comes up in almost every other interview that I have because I'm like, oh, yeah, Jamie said this in our interview that we did or whatever, because it was it's a really just great one. It has a lot of insight on like punk rock and horror and Archie and everything. But yeah, I was going to say that, you know, anytime I think about Archie, it's basically how... I guess popping the horror line is and how there's always been this kind of incredible presence of Archie horror over the last like several years and you know how popular that is and how much fun everybody seems like they're having and that definitely links into your story which as you said it does an homage to Megan right and yes. um you know using Cheryl <laughs> with backwards E, of course, the three as an E, which I love. Um, Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. The story itself is about Midge, right? So I wanted to talk about Midge because Midge does not get her due, right? Like this is the character that classically it does not get her due. So why did you choose Midge? Um, How did that choice come into being? Well, Jamie said that we had to pick someone who was like, they're trying to give characters who haven't had a big spotlight, a spotlight. And Mm. so I thought that she was kind of the perfect character in the sense that she is part of the gang, but she doesn't have a best friend. She doesn't have, I mean, she's got her boyfriend, but like she doesn't have like a person. And I felt like, like, what if you're the person who doesn't, like you fit in, but you don't, you don't have your person yet. Like you don't have your best friend. And I think at that age, having a best friend is kind of everything. So she's looking around and it's like, look, there's Jughead and Archie and Veronica and Betty and everybody has somebody and I want somebody. And she just unfortunately gets the wrong somebody with this doll. So it's just, I thought it was like kind of a perfect matchup. And I'd watched the movie um, and I thought it was just such a fun, campy idea. Yes. And I've always liked like the creepy doll movies. And there's something about like just being a kid and 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 loving your dolls and, and projecting all these things on them. And like, what if, but like the kind of the what if, like I wanted to play with that. <laughs> oh, there's so much creepy dolls, right? Like I, the talking Tina episode of Twilight Zone, the like, oh my God, I watched all of the child's play movies as a little kid, of course, like way too young, of course, as like most of the people I think my age did, <laughs> um, where it's just like, oh, I'm five. That's cool. I'm old enough to watch this movie. <laughs> it's just about, dolls and then it's just like oh this is mortifying but um oh they're so creepy have you seen the new chucky series not yet 
It's so good. It's like very camp. It taps into all of like the fun camp of it. And not in the same way that Megan does. I think that they exist very differently on the evil doll scale, but I love both of them a lot. (laughs) And of course, Jennifer Tilly. Oh my God. I'm so glad she's done it. I really do have to watch that one. Where is that one? There's so many shows it was it's made by sci-fi which means i think you can watch it on peacock but i just buy it because it's like 10 bucks or something for every season and i'm just like get rid of the commercials get you know like all of that but um yeah i think like you can watch it on peacock but if nothing else you can watch at least the first season and figure out if it's your vibe at all you know Um, but it's really fun. I think you, I, only from what I know of you from reading your stuff, I would say maybe you will like it. (laughs) I thought I would like it. And I, I, I remember I like the movies were so scary to me. The first one really got me because I was a kid and I just, and I feel like, like though, like there's some, there really is something about doll movies. Yeah. I wonder about it. I remember whenever I was a kid, I saw killer clowns from outer space and uh, there's like an evil talking doll in that. It's, I think it's just one part of it or something. Maybe it's like a puppet or something. I don't remember. But after that, I like took all of my dolls and put them out in the hallway <laughs> because I was like, no. <laughs> but um, Midge doesn't do that. <laughs> the no, story was not. really fun. I really enjoyed it. Honestly, their anthologies, I think, are always just top notch. Very fun. Gets to the root of what people like about Archie and what people like about horror. So, um, yeah. How did you feel about the story itself? Because have you read a lot of Archie before this or was it kind of like a new discovery for you? Um, Archie was my, like, that was my first comic book. Yes. Like, I had probably a hundred of them, like, on my Was it the Digest? I, like, the Digest, <laughs> yes. And I, That's, I love them. Yeah, I, I, those I think are great. Kind of, yeah, I think it's maybe because they were, like, it it was a kind of it felt so adult even though it was a kids comic because you had like this big love triangle you had like it was so fun like I was obsessed <laughs> with them and I don't know so I I so it, that was really my entryway into comics uh, so it was really just yeah. kind of an honor to get to finally write one and I've been pitching some stuff for a long time I, I wrote another comic for them Super Teen and it didn't actually ever come out so I was really excited to have this one oh yeah brutal yeah you're just like. Okay, now <laughs> I need an Archie verse comic. Come on. Yes. I think that it's good that that was your first comic because honestly, I think Archie is just masterclass. Like if you w- read those older ones, especially like I was probably first reading Archie maybe in like the late 80s when I was like a very little kid. And it's just like I read it back now and I'm like, these jokes are great (laughs) like they just age so well and they're all done in like four pages and there's all of this expressiveness like I I think it will be a great first comic for anybody who's going to go into writing comics later yeah and I want to give a shout out to my artist Tango like I think he just did such a great job in like capturing everything in so few pages I am super impressed at and I still think I'm probably a little bit dialogue heavy whenever I write comics still I try not to be but <laughs> right I have a lot of dialogue on my panels and I should give my artists more room but I I I um I do I'm just I'm I marvel at the artists honestly Oh, the flow of the story is really good. I thought that that was one of the things I liked the best was kind of the positioning of the lettering and how it was kind of just like moving along with like the panels. I thought that that made it look really good because it made it seem like uh, we're just like going along with Midge, right? Like that's kind of how I felt. So I liked the movement of the story. 
And so I will agree with you. The art is really, really good in that one. Um, yeah, he's, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's not your first comic, correct? So my first comic was uh, Mira Tidebreaker for DC. And I got, I was really lucky because I got to launch their kids line um, a couple years ago. And yes. it was really, just, I was very excited. Mira is my favorite. So I can't imagine wow. why this would not be um, on my list. It's just so funny. I was like, right, Mira, <laughs> like my favorite. Okay. Oh, I, I had so much fun writing it. And it was like, it was my, you know, I had really great editors, uh, Michelle Wells and uh, Ben Abernathy. And they totally like, like taught, like taught me how to write a comic because I didn't, I'd never written one before. So uh, and we, we were on this like really accelerated schedule because it was the first one out and they wanted it to come out before the movie. Um, and so it it was really, it was so much, it was just so much fun, I've got to say to write. Another comic that is stunningly beautiful. <laughs> the art is just incredible. But I was going to say too that I love this comic, but I really love Mira. So what, what was your history with that character? Um, I want to shout out to the art artist, Stephen Byrne. And then... Um, so yeah, my honestly, like I went to dinner with Michelle Walls at, after a book conference and we were um, and I, I just I, I had no idea I was going to get the job. So I think we just had a great dinner and she's like, do you want to pitch for DC? And, and sure. And so I pitched uh, Aquaman as the little, little mermaid. And I think I called it a whole new world. And it was basically my story <laughs> was was whether like Aquaman comes to land from the sea and he has to decide whether he's going to go back to the sea or live on land. And because he meets Mira on on land. And so I get the, I get I get my phone call from DC after I've turned on my pitch. Like, like, we love your pitch, except Aquaman is never like Aquaman always starts on land. You can't switch it. You can't have him grow up under the sea. Um, but Mira grew up under the sea. So what if we tell the same story with Mira at the heart of it? And so I added the idea that what if Mira came to land and she was supposed to kill Aquaman because he doesn't know who he is yet, but instead she falls in love with him. And they went for it. And that's my DC's beginning. It was, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and it, it turned out, I mean, I, I love that book and the pages and I, I felt just so lucky to get to write it. I love that character a lot. She's been through some changes. <laughs> yes. There's like there's whole eras of comic books where you're kind of just like the female characters. They like can be like uh, pretty rough, I guess, to read. It'll be like, yes. oh, hysterical women tropes or like whatever. And Mira definitely falls into that. But yet I always am just like, I just love her. <laughs> so It's like one of those characters where it's like, even if she shows up and you're like, cool, I don't really like this agenda that's being pushed by the writer that's just like making her be kind of like, um, like Aquaman's like crazy wife or like whatever, right? right? Or whatever. And But then she shows up and does wild stuff. And I'm just like, Honestly, he kind of deserved that. I'm still on her side. <laughs> like, right. And I think that she's like, technically, she's more powerful than him. Yes. And, like, and doesn't get her due. So I, I know. Like, getting to, like, you know, and like, she's, she grew up there and he gets to be the king. Like, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm team Mira. <laughs> I'm glad that Mira has been getting a lot more uh, support and that like, there's been a lot more good stories with her as of late. Like, I think a lot of people have done good stuff with her. But I will say Tidebreaker is on that list because Aww. any it's like 
we never hear we never hear about when she was at this age <laughs> like we never know there's like a whole gaps in characters lives sometimes where you're like yeah literally nobody was asking for some reason like what she was up to during this time i guess and i'm always i think i'm always curious about like how did characters get to be the way that they are like i love stories like that so for me that that made it really fun yeah definitely do you have a like a secret like what would be your next DC character you would pitch? Do you know? Um, I'm writing one and I can't say what okay. it is. Okay. <laughs> you don't want to say that part. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Um, but it I it's a grown-up book and not a kid book and I am so excited and I think I don't I think we'll announce in the next uh, couple months and I hope it like I just hope it keeps moving forward but it's a big deal for me. I'm really excited about this one. Oh, good. <laughs> Yes, I've been reading DC Comics always, and so pretty much any character it is, I think I will be thrilled. So, yeah, and I just—it's one of those things where, honestly, like as a writer, it was like the one area that I know I told you it. Like, I'm super confident about being able to write anything. I just—I honestly never thought I would get the ask because I felt like it's such—it felt like such a boy world. And I know oh, yeah. there's so many, so many women in comics now, but I didn't know that from growing up. So I yeah. think that. Just like meeting Michelle and then having such a great experience with DC, um, I really like it's it's like finding a place there has been like such a surprise for me. Oh, and that line really did bring in just so, so many creators that I was thrilled. Like the Harley Quinn Breaking Glass by Mariko Tamaki. Like there's like, there's all of these really, really good comics that came out of that. Like Poison Ivy Thorns was really good. Like there's just a bunch of them where... You're like, cool. I mean, this is awesome. I, it feels like exactly what I would be picking up if I had been that age, I guess. Like now I'm still picking it up as like a 40 year old, right? But it's like, I would, I think about whenever I was 12 and I'm like, oh, right. I like went, I wanted to buy comics. Like I just loved the medium so much. So it would be like any comics that came out, I wanted to buy them. And so that in the 90s, of course, that means I'm getting like a bunch of issues of like Vamprilla or something, which like, don't get me wrong. I love Vamprilla, but it's definitely like would would be very, very like sexy lady or whatever. And like, yeah, and she's got a gun or like whatever, you know, just kind <laughs> of like 90s style action film kind of vibes. Um, once again, I mean, time and a place. I love that stuff too. But I'm like, I cool. It would have it would have been nice to have kind of <laughs> like a balance. I think back then. And I really and I hope that like that 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 the line like continues to like bring in kids to read it and that they keep going. Um, like I, I think that mm-hmm. like it's so important for girls to and for boys to have like that representation and have like other stories. Like I. I I only read Archie comics as a kid. I don't think I picked up my first DC comic until I was like a, a probably an adult or like college maybe. So I feel like because mm-hmm. I didn't think that that was like a space for me, and I don't know why. So I feel like like I loved all the movies. Like I was in love with Superman and like all and every Batman and all those. Like I watched everything, but I just never it never even occurred to me that I could write something in that space. Right. Because I think that that's like kind of for a long time was at least a little bit intentional (laughs) on the part of the industry. Like, I think that there was um, obviously always people who are like fighting for change and doing good stuff in the industry. Like in the 80s, even they had like Power Pack, which was really cool and like intended for kids. And me getting into comics was like, I just read everything. Right. So it was just like, cool, I'm into comics now (laughs) because comics exist. 
So I'm reading that along with like all of this other stuff. And then eventually it really did turn into like, I love them so much, but I was the only girl I knew who read superhero comics for the longest time. Like it took like until I was in like my mid 20s (laughs) before I met anyone who was uh, just like, I guess, not a cis man who loved comics. (laughs) It's true that it has changed a lot. It's also true that there were always, you know, women, queer people always working in comics. So not to diminish, right? But um, it is still just like kind of amazing now to be like, oh, yeah, you know, you can have these characters who for a long time maybe didn't get their due, like, you know, a character like Poison Ivy or something. And now they're really having a renaissance kind of. And I think that stuff like the, um, like DC's, the line um, that Mira was on, I think that that has a lot to do with kind of pulling people in because also it's kind of free from all of the continuity of it too, right? So it's like, there is continuity to it, but you can kind of move around, right? Like it's not super strict. Right. No, they really do. Um, I think the only continuity note was really was that like, there's some character things you can't flip, like having Aquaman grow up underwater. Right. It's not a thing you could do. And I really thought I could. Because they told me you could do whatever you wanted. So I read about it. It's like, this is what I want to do. It's like, that's the one thing you can't do. <laughs> but yeah, I do think that, yeah, there's like a lot of freedom in that line because you could give people backstories that they didn't have before and really explore it. And you could make people different colors and different, like you would add, you could do things that that the continuity line wasn't doing. So so now in trying to write something that's more continu- in, more in continuity, it's, it's like there are tough things about that, but it's also a joy to be in that box too. So... Right. And that's something I've had. I've heard a lot of creators because obviously there's no way that you can read. If you read Superman number, well, what is it? Action Comics number one all the way up today and you read every single Superman comic and you retain all of that information, you would come to the end of that with like a completely nonsensical mess as far as continuity goes. So it's like there's these changes, there's things like that, there's things that are dropped, things that are remembered. And then it's like, from what I have heard, of people, they're basically like, use continuity as well as you can as like a tool to make a better story. But you can't, you know, let continuity make all of the decisions either, right? Right. And I think it, and it very much depends on like what editor you have and like what the what what who's in charge of the company at the time, like what their feeling is, like right. how heavily you have to rely on continuity and what you can do. So um, I think having Marie Jabbins is now the, she's the editor-in-chief now, and she has been at DC for a really long time, so she knows the history, but she also, like, like no, you know, she is open to things. So I think that's super exciting for the company, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big X-Men fan over in Marvel, and I was thinking about how that kind of worked recently, where they were like, Maybe sometimes we just totally ignore continuity with Moira McTaggart so that we can tell this story (laughs) with her or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. I mean, it bothers some people more than it bothers others, right? Like, but it's it's fine for me because I'm like, well, then the old Moira will just come back eventually. Like, you know, eventually you're going to find somebody who is like a huge Moira McTaggart fan. Right. And be like, bring her back the way that she was and her glory will be restored to what you want it to be. Because that's kind of it. Like, I think that with superhero comics, it's not like uh, repetitive to me, but it is very cyclical, right? 
Like we'll always come back around. <laughs> like you'll, it'll come back around. And that's why I always feel like too, if I don't like a story or something like that, it's very easy to dip out of superhero comics as an adult, you know, and be like, cool, that one's not for me. I'll come back here in a couple of years, as opposed to like probably when I was a teen and I was just like, what are they doing? <laughs> they brought right. in a creative team. I don't like this is an affront to me. <laughs> right. And I do think it's like that like sense of like you realize like the longer you've been reading comics or the longer you've been following whatever franchise you've been following. It's like there's going to be another reset. I don't love this reset, but I, there's going to be another reset. I get another chance to to love this thing. And and maybe I will watch this one and be super critical, but I am still a fan of the thing. So I think that watching like I think that watching like the films from D.C., or the other media, it's like, well, you realize that there's going to be a new Batman in three years, probably, if you don't like this Batman (laughs) or this Superman or this Spider-Man. And so I think you have to be like, you have to be grown up about it eventually. (laughs) But I think we're all fans and we want, we, you know, we have this version of it that we think that we want. But I'm always, I love that you can be surprised by what a brand or what a franchise does. Like, like what Archie Comics did with like the reset with the Riverdale. Like I, did not see that coming yes. and I felt absolutely in love no. with it and <laughs> I'm like well yeah. uh, wow like who could do that and like and it's not that Archie did like there is a, this history of horror in the comics there's Sabrina there's all this stuff but totally I just never I did not see that coming and I love being surprised and um and just kind of now being a part of it so Yeah, I was thinking about, well, Riverdale has perhaps like at least one of the greatest Halloween episodes I've ever seen. Um, It also has that whole half season where it's Rivervale (laughs) and they go into the Twilight Zone. So it's like there's that. Of course, as you said, there is a lot of um, like there's precedent, right? But yeah, I don't I don't know anybody who wasn't thrilled by the idea of Archie Horror being like kind of like what this direction was going to be for the because it wasn't the whole line, right? Like you had Afterlife with Archie that came out, but like there was still like other Archie comics. With Riverdale, I always look back at like getting into that show as being like, oh, I was because like the first few times I saw it, I was like, this is simply not for me. Like this is ridiculous. And then I kind of had to be like, you're so wrong about this because it's like I'm being the one who doesn't get the joke or something, you know? It's like I was just like, this isn't like Archie or whatever. I'm used to old, <laughs> wholesome Archie or whatever. Right. And it's like, that that was still about like a love triangle. <laughs> like It's like, it was like this like kind of wild story to begin with. And so you're kind of, I think that what I was afraid of was it was going to be too gritty. And then you watch it and you're just like, oh, it's just using like gritty, like grim tropes, but it's like all camp for the most part, pretty much beginning to end. It completely um, is like I think that they they maintain that and there's still like the sense of like fun and there's a real comedic sense like yeah. throughout and I feel like that's what saves it and you still you stuck to who the characters are I mean I, for the most part I mean I I think that like Jughead is probably the character that gets to change the most because he's not like just eating hamburgers but and it was great to it's great to see him have some depth and get to do this thing and be kind of the voice of it i i think that it just was it's like such a 
cool, like grown up extension of what we read when we were kids. And when we were kids, like you said, it's like we were reading about love triangles when we were 10. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think you really think about it that way. That's true. Yeah. You're just like, ooh, that was actually like kind of risque in this like funny way. Because yeah, I think when I, when Archie comes up, I have, it comes up all of the time. I really love Archie. I, I love Riverdale. And it's like the, whenever it comes up, I'm always like, not only has Archie been around for like 80 years, it's been pretty subversive often, right? Like there's been a fair amount of subversive stuff going on. And I always think that, yeah, Riverdale, as opposed to something being like a grim and gritty reboot, it's more kind of like it just leans into that part of it or something and kind of merges it with like the soap opera feel, kind of merges it with like Twin Peaks kind of cinematography, you know, and like all of that kind of stuff. But all in all, as you say, it really is just those same characters. It's like, uh, you know, they act, the actors cared about those characters and like wanted them to be cool and good and, you know, have like nice stories. So I appreciate, I think that like w- once you watch enough Riverdale, you're like, people love doing this show. Like the writers yes. are clearly having the time of their lives, honestly. Right. And I, yeah, so I loved it. And if you ask me like what my favorite show is a lot, like, like for that genre, like that's my favorite show. Like I would, I would call Riverdale because I think they did such a great job and they, and by switching every season, it it was just, it was so clever. And as like on a writing standpoint, I think that they did a, they did a really great job. Yeah, I think so too. And it's like, they're another thing where, like any soap opera, where you'll be like, oh, I'm not sure if I like this direction too much. Guess what? Three episodes passed and we forgot about it. <laughs> so, right. I'm like, if you don't like the Zodiac season, you might like the time <laughs> travel season because that's coming. Yeah, the time crazy. you have to wait for the multiverse episode, if nothing else, because the multiverse, that's my favorite multiverse <laughs> of all yes. multiverses. It's just like there's something so comedic about Veronica Lodge using the existence of a multiverse to like try to like set up a three three way with like the two Reggies or whatever. Yes, and you're just hilarious. like, wow, yeah, wow, bravo, bravo. <laughs> if you if anybody ever understood the character of Veronica Lodge, it is this exact creative team. <laughs> yes, I, and it was, and I love that I that we were constantly surprised while watching it. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was a bonker. Oh, man. Okay, well, this it's like listeners at this point are going to be stunned that I that we're somehow once again talking about Riverdale because (laughs) it comes up in almost every interview for some reason. Well, I'm sure it comes up for me a lot whenever I talk about about television in general or and now that I get to write one, I get to talk about it as a writer for the company. So that's cool. But like I but but it even before then, I've been like singing its praises for years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Same here. I've also heard people be like, I like Riverdale whenever you explain it, but I don't like Riverdale if I'm watching it. <laughs> and I like crack up about that because it's like, <laughs> yeah, I am very enthusiastic in my <laughs> delivery when I'm explaining what's going on with like Cheryl Blossom that week <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> It's just like, you will not believe what's going on with Cheryl. Um. That's really fun, though. Yeah, my my fiancé, he's like, 
that is not Riverdale. Like, that's not Archie Comics. Like, when we watched it together, it's like, but he said, this is totally a great soap opera, but not, this is not the show. This is not what I read. Yeah, this is not what I was thinking. And it's like, but the gags do still come back sometimes. So mm-hmm. um, what I was going to ask, too, because this all seems like it sort of leads very well into the Star Wars. And I have to apologize because I haven't read the Star Wars story. I just found out while we were talking. Um, so I do want to talk about it, though, because I'm a huge fan of Star Star Wars extended universe stuff and like I uh, mostly don't watch the movies or like the TV shows which is like kind of an odd thing I guess I'm just a way bigger comic book fan so I'm like always like kind of devouring the Star Wars comics and reading the books and I really really have loved the um, the anthology series that you're a part of because those are great so I got to write a story from and uh, from a certain point of view. It's like they have a series of anthologies. This is the third one. This one's about Return of the Jedi. And so you get to write about like ancillary characters that or, or create a character that exists in this world but doesn't have a story told on screen. So for me, I I pitched the idea of there being a, a, an historian who gets to basically chronicle what is happening, you know, because the rebellion is new and they also don't know if they're going to survive. My idea was like, what if you had a group of people that that collected all the stories of, of, of all the players involved so that their message like lives on even if they don't? So uh, my character, her name's Dora Mar, and she gets to interview Lando and Leia and Luke and Han to talk about what's happening in Return of the Jedi. So, right. um, so, and she's never met them before. So it's kind of, it was a way to like kind of be, for me, like as a fangirl that I am, I wanted to get to talk to those characters. So I got to write them briefly, mm. you know, the short story. <laughs> right. So, You're like, I have some questions for you all. <laughs> right. So that was, I mean, that's my story. And it it was like so much fun to write and so hard in the sense that like, you think that you're a Star Wars fan, until you get like the, your notes from Lucas Arts, and they're telling you like what you have, like you can't do that, you know. And like I thought I knew everything, but I don't. So oh yeah, um, I realize I'm very humble here. I was very lucky to have great editors who who would tell me like what I was doing wrong and how to get there, and to work with them and figure out this is this is like I, I this is what Luke would say. This is what Laura what Leia would say this is how they would behave in this situation. Like I had my idea and and I talked to them and I figured it out. And I think the story is really, I'm very proud of it. And it was just, I, it's, um, it's one of my favorite things I got to write. What was the name of the anthology? It's like in a galaxy far, far away. It's called um, From a Certain Point of View. Oh, right. Uh, and it's, I think it's from a certain point of view, colon, Return of the Jedi. Let me see. Yes. Yeah. Because they did the other two movies before this. Yeah, and so and it just came out like maybe four weeks ago. So, uh, and I just got back from Comic Con and I got to do a panel with mm. everybody. It was really fun. <laughs> That's extremely fun. Do you do a lot of uh, conventions? Uh, before the cam- the pandemic, I think I probably went to every uh, New York Comic Con from like 2014 to like 2020, maybe mm. like uh, right. And then and I've been to San Diego Comic Con a bunch of times. And I've been to C2E2. Um, and those are my only comic ones that I've been to. Oh, yeah. Nice. That's fun, though. I very seldom get to go to comic conventions. But whenever I do, they are always very fun. And you're always like, oh, 
there's all those people that I love. <laughs> like, here's all the people writing my favorite comics, like just sitting here on a panel usually um, saying smart things. So what was the panel about? This one was about Star Wars. This is about specifically that anthology. And oh, so nice. Just, I see. There were six writers and we all got to talk about it and I'll talk about our stories. And um, Tom Holgier, who was our editor, um, interviewed us and it was just... It was fun. It's like the first time I've done anything for Star Wars and and to do it in person and to be there. It was just very, very cool. I love conventions. Like I just seeing everybody dressed up and mm-hmm. seeing their passion for like whatever their fandom is. And like not even like you see like there's someone in your in the line like that you're citing a book for and you're like, like, what are you? Who are you? <laughs> what character is that? I have no I love that. I love whatever you are. Like it was just there's so much out there that you don't know about and just seeing people just like letting their their you know fandom fly like i i so respect that and 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 love that so and it just it's like so much fun to be a part of yeah that's a, it's so fun i was thinking too uh not to put you on the spot but do you have a favorite star wars character i think leia i think maybe it's just because that's like you know as a little kid like you just like identify with her yeah i don't think that you like i don't think i had any concept of a girl being part of like a space odyssey, like you don't like she like kind of created that and the hair and the everything. And she was so powerful. And she, you know, I, I was like rooting for her and I loved her. And, you know, and then there's a love story with Han and like, it just had everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, of course, like Yoda, I loved and then, um, <laughs> and then Luke's story, like to get to be a Jedi was like, the idea of like a girl holding a lightsaber was not really something that's in the first movie, but now in the new incarnations, like there's Ray. Like I, I don't know. There's just so much there, and I think it really, aside from fairy tales, like it kind of defines like heroes and villains. And I, of course, love Darth Vader. Um, so um, I don't know. It's it's like that first. It's kind of your intro to to heroes and villains on, in a different way. Yeah, I got to say that the extended universe is really good to uh, Anakin, Darth Vader. I think that um, I always was just like, what's the big deal about Darth Vader? Or like, whatever. I was like a hater about it. But then eventually reading a lot of the comics that he appears in, not only does it really flesh out like Anakin's fall, you know, like it goes through some of the horrible things that he witnesses of the Jedi and he's, and you start to, it's like they'll do flashback stories with him and Obi-Wan and you're like, oh, I see what's going on with this guy. <laughs> you know, I also think like the series Clone Wars did a lot for him, but then also the Darth Vader comics, he's so scary. Like, He's terrifying and same like every time he pops up in any of the novels or whatever, it's just always just top notch stuff. I really appreciate uh, Extended Universe Darth Vader for at least like kind of opening my eyes so that now I can be like, oh, yeah, he's so terrifying in that first movie, you know, and like all of this. So, yeah, I think that they've done like there's so there's so much content. There's so much to to read and and watch and see like the also as the idea as a writer to have created a universe like that like it is it's its own like fairy tale that's going to live on hopefully that people like it's part of it's part of our zeitgeist and and it's kind of amazing that that happened in our lifetimes you know Mm mm-hmm yeah, and, and now also the because I was even just the other day I had to write a piece where I was 
talking about Phantom Menace and just being like, you kind of can't understand that like there had been a 16 year gap between <laughs> Jedi and, you know, Phantom Menace because that would like not ever happen now. Right. It's like now there's right. all of this Star Wars content. So it really is just like if you don't like it, just watch the other show or <laughs> like whatever. Right. right? It, yeah. It's like its own world now. Like, yeah. I, um, I watched Andor recently and I thought it was amazing. And then, you know, but you still have the Mandalorian and you have Obi-Wan. There's all these other like versions like on the TV side even like or there's so many comics or there's so many other shows. Like, mm-hmm. There's so much stuff that you could consume. And I, it's like kind of just like picking like what part of like, oh, I don't like that one. I'll watch this one, you know, <laughs> and, and I, I think that's so incredible. I think a lot of the uh, criticism for the Jedi, right, is kind of it It gets to actually breathe in the kind of comics world or like the novels world because it's like in the movies, obviously, there's moments where it's like, uh, I think the Jedi kind of did the wrong thing here or something like that. Or like, oh, this person who is a Jedi is like kind of jaded and like kind of is upset, you know, with the, the other Jedi Whereas, like, in the comics, you'll be able to see various times of the Jedi. And so that kind of fleshes it out a little bit more in a way that I think is good. It it increases my enjoyment of it. Because I think whenever I was, like, younger, I had this ability, like, uh, this tendency to, um, to, like, view it as kind of like a moral black and white kind of world, you know, like, where it was just, like, everybody's good or evil or whatever. And I think that reading the comics has really fleshed that out for me, like, having characters like Dr. Afra or whatever, and, you know, who's, like, probably evil, but kind of good, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Right. Like, kind of having those more kind of gray area characters, I guess, has really helped. And then also kind of adding context to a lot of the morality of that universe and being like, yes, Jedis are often the heroes, but here's many times when they're not too. Because even if you go into life thinking that you're doing something heroic, the chances of that actually being true is like not up to you to decide, right? Like it's like, you know, morality is just more complicated than that. So I think that I maybe have... At, at different times of my life, maybe when I was like a teen or something, I might have been kind of dismissive towards uh, like Star Wars for being like in that way a little bit basic. But then I think that once again, I was like the person who was in the wrong because now I think about it and I'm just like, oh, no, it's like it's so complicated. <laughs> like there's so much going on in the Star Wars universe. And, you know, there's characters that go from good to evil and like back to good, you know, and stuff like that. So I, I think that I appreciate the kind of like interesting morality of Star Wars just more and more as time goes on. And I also think that the the writers involved have had a chance to evolve. Like I do think that probably, I mean, even George Lucas, I cannot speak for him in any way, but but I'm sure that what was written back in the 70s is not sure. the way that he feels about the universe now. And I think that we as a culture have come a long, a long way and like seeing... Like the backlash when you cast somebody like um like the the like the black guy in the first uh reboot like of the movie is like and you get like this like they're like I, I feel like there's a lot of learning that has had to happen between the fans and even the writers and mm-hmm. to to and like again like Ray putting her in the center of a movie. Um, that wouldn't have happened in 1970. You know, right, I mean, right. Princess Leia was was in the movie, but she's a princess and she's a, she is also a hero. But but there right. are certain roles that are there, and I think that that 
as a franchise, they've realized that they have to evolve and they have to show those gray areas, I think. And that's where it gets really good because <laughs> that's when you get to, um, you know, meet the Padawan of Anakin and like, you know, just all of the kind of interesting characters that come out of that. So that I guess like that's kind of Star Wars really has changed with time, as you say. I, I always loved like kind of the extended universe, even the stuff that's not continuity anymore. That stuff is called like Legends now or something. Um, right. That stuff is great. Like, honestly, it's really fun. And yeah, I don't know. It's, there's there's more to Star Wars than I even know <laughs> as well. I remember, yeah. And I remember being a kid and reading like the Star Wars books like that were that were companion novels and the books yes. that happened in between and like seeing stories about Leia and, and the twins. And like there were there were stories that like, oh, this makes more sense to me. And I think that was like like through the books, they were already, like you're saying, like they were already evolving and we didn't see all that on screen for a long time. Right, right. I love that there is those kind of, I mean, I'm one of those people who really loves like a between the movies novel. Yeah, <laughs> like those are always like the greatest. <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about it, like the licensed tie-ins or whatever. There's just always something where I'm like, ooh, this is exciting. <laughs> Like, yes, I get to I read, like, a that. little secret part of the universe. Right. And, like, it's it's just for you. Yeah, I think so. I love stuff like that. Hey, everybody. Earlier today, I made myself a sandwich. And I thought to myself, if I could rate and review this sandwich, I would give it five stars. And <laughs> I would say... This sandwich is so incredible. It was the best sandwich I've had literally in days. And it was everything I wanted it to be. And that would be a positive review. That would help me see what audience responses were to my sandwich. And, you know, it would just be really a helpful system. I wonder if there's another situation where rating and reviewing would come in handy. Oh. Huh. Oh, my God. No. What? You could rate and review this podcast and then that helps us find our audience and it helps us find whatever we've lost it helps us find what we've lost <laughs> helps us find our socks <laughs> our keys our <laughs> cell phone people don't talk about it enough when you rate and review it really changes someone's life <laughs> yeah it's gonna change my life that's for sure and we like to read the reviews you know the ones that are positive that say soothing and nice things <laughs> Five stars. We'll give you five stars as a listener. You give us five stars as a podcast. Five sandwiches. <laughs> this podcast, let's face it, is five delicious sandwiches. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. 
or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm glad that we've had this time to talk about Archie and, you know, Star Wars DC Comics, all of these things that I love. But of course, uh, as you mentioned before, one of the things for which you are best known is writing about Oz. And I want to start because we are in our Halloween episode. I think that we have a lot to work with when it comes to horror and Oz, right? <laughs> so yes. Oz itself is such like a, a like a beautiful and haunting world, right? Like there's yes. something very um, incredible about the way that even when you're reading the books, you know, as a kid or whatever, I believe I saw them, the original, like the Judy Garland movie before I saw, um, like before I read any of the books, I'm pretty sure as a kid, but I, they were pretty concurrent, right? <laughs> so it's hard, yes. it's hard to say for sure. Anytime you read those books, the way that Oz is described is like, I believe that we all kind of feel like we would be able to describe what Oz is and like what the terrain is and kind of like almost as much as we would be able to believe or or like to relay like any of these incredible like appearances, right? Because there's like every character's design is so much a part of their character. And so... I guess it's like this was this is more kind of I guess open ended than like an, a question would be, but basically just kind of saying that that way that there is of establishing scene and characters through visuals, but they do it in a novel, and then you watch the movie, and obviously like the translation is really good, like that you it's it yes. looks like they described it, but. I'm kind of curious what you, was that something that stood out to you in the beginning was not necessarily even just the characters, but like the actual land of Oz, because what, like, obviously in your book, it's a, it comes up, (laughs) right? Yeah, no, I think for me, yeah, I think that as a little kid, I just remember like going from black and white to color and seeing Oz and seeing that moment and it was magic. And I think that like, and the book does the exact, I mean, did it first and does the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And and then when I wrote my book, I kind of twisted it, but it it's still like this moment of like, you're not in Kansas anymore. And it's like such a part of our world to say that. And um, I think it's, I mean, it's one of the best movie openings uh, that I've like seen. It's one of the best like book openings that I've seen. 
um, getting to emulate that in my book was just, you know, it's like, I wanted to go to Oz. So I got to go to Oz and I got to tell this other story. And for me, I think that was my idea. Like what, you know, what would it be like for a modern girl to go to Oz? And what if everything is even more effed up than, than, you know, than it, it seems like, and I, I feel like for like, there's so much darkness in the books and there's so much darkness actually in the movie if you really think about it. Yeah, you don't sure. think about it because it's the music and the it's beautiful. beauty. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so gorgeous. And 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 Judy Garland is so sweet. And there's so much. But at the same time, if you just like sit for a minute and think like she like just was her house was picked up by a tornado or family yes. might be dead. And she lands on a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And kills them and then steals their shoes and then someone's trying to kill her. Like that's, that's Oz. And, and I just, I thought like, what would that do to a person if you're like 16 or younger in the book um, and this happened to you? Like, yeah. and so what if it just like fucks you up? Like, what if you end up being a little screwed up afterwards? And then like, she goes back home to, to Kansas after having experienced all this magic and agency and having friends and having this giant adventure. And then she's back in that black and white world. And what if she really, really, really wants to come back? And when she gets that opportunity, she's a little bit screwed up. And so I made her very, very dark um, in my book. And what, by the time another girl lands there, she's ruling Oz and she has to basically fight her. And it was, it was, it's like a really dark, fun story that I am so glad I got to tell and I I was so surprised by the reception like I didn't I I had so much fun writing it but I didn't really think about what I'd done uh like until the the night before the book came out it's like I made this character that everybody loves into someone who's kind of evil and I hope that people <laughs> don't get mad at me um, but it was too late so um but yeah but that's yeah it's what I'm most known for and it's I am I'm really proud of those books Yeah. And with good reason, honestly, because somebody who, you know, I would say just maybe not Oz's biggest fan ever, but I really appreciate the whole franchise. It's been with me since I was a kid, as it has with so many people, right? So it's like whenever you read something like Dorothy Must Die, to me, that's just like a really, it's like almost extended universe in its own way because you're like, oh, and this is what we're doing now. But I wanted to say too that there's, as you mentioned, kind of, you know, it's like there is so much horror in that story of like this girl who's her goes flying through <laughs> the air and the house is dropped on a person and it's everybody's like oh that person's dead all right move it along <laughs> and there's an evil witch you know there's like so so many things um about the book that just kind of are a horror story. So I think whenever, you know, you see something like Return to Oz, which is like so often considered to be like the horror version of Oz, it's also just like, that's just Oz, baby. Like, it's like, there's just a lot of horror very intrinsic to it. Whenever I was like a kid, probably actually Return to Oz was probably the first of any of it that I encountered because of just the age I was a kid during the 80s. And so, um, you know, kind of, I believe maybe it just always had that kind of 
Because in that story, it's like she goes back and it's like kind of like they're all hard to for me to describe this story, this story that I haven't seen in a long time. But basically, like, you know, the whole area is like all of the um, it's diminished. Like there's like, you know, all of the buildings are broken, like the yellow brick yes. road is cracked and all of this. So that imagery is like something that stays with me beyond the story stays with me because it's like you have this image of like you know, uh, something awry in Oz, right? This beautiful land. And so I think that there is something that's like kind of fun maybe for writers and you'd have to tell me more about this, but to kind of be like, okay, the beautiful land, but what when? What about when it goes even like more off the rails, you know, like what else can we do with this? Yeah, I think for me that was like, that was part of it. And I think that like what I was playing with mainly was the idea of like kind of the, the idea of characters who have gotten everything that they wanted, like the whole journey of the first of the first book and the first and the movie is like the idea that you had Dorothy who wanted to go home and you had the lion who wanted to have courage and you had the ten man who wanted to have a heart. You had and they get what happens when you get those things. And I, I think I like the idea of like what if you get the thing that you want and you kind of overcorrect. So so Dorothy wanted a home and decides she wants to go back to Oz instead. But now this is her home and she's kind of taking over and draining it of its power. And the lion wants now is like feeding off of fear. And the tin man is like overly obsessed with Dorothy, like taking those qualities and just kind of twisting them and playing with the idea of, of power. Like what happens when you have power after never having power? And like maybe there's an overcorrection there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes, there is. <laughs> Yeah, Dorothy's an interesting character, especially, yeah, I think as you write it, because it's like such a, there's like such a corruption that occurs kind of in a weird way. And um, yeah, what was it like? Because you said too that you were like, uh-oh, I <laughs> I accidentally wrote a whole book where I made the good character evil. But um, she comes back, right? Like, don't you do a prequel like for uh, Dorothy? I did a prequel for Dorothy where you... Um you see how she kind of like how she began to get there. So it's like when she goes back to Kansas and she goes to her first, she goes to her birthday party and there's a guy that she likes and like, she's bored and no one believes her about having been to Oz. Like they just think she hit her head (laughs) during the tornado and she gets, starts to get angry. Like she wants, you know, she just wants that life back and she wants the magic back. And so it's kind of like a, um, and not a cautionary tale, but just to like, she, she had this other life that she thought was better and she wants it back. And she kind of twists in that desire. What do you think is so um, like fun, I guess? Because it's like, there's been a fair amount of, I guess, like fairy tale retailings or like, they kind of like change it around to make it be kind of something new. I think that we've seen like, you know, a fair amount of versions And I appreciate because I think that there are all times, basically what's happening is it's like shifting the lens a little bit to uh, be like, okay, cool. Well, like, let's look at the character, like not from their perspective, but maybe from somebody else's perspective or vice versa. You know, we've seen this evil queen from everybody else's perspective, but what about her story? And like that kind of thing. So is that something, because this um, kind of like delving in, like retelling Oz stories, but going off in like a very unique direction with all of them. I'm curious, kind of... um, 
yeah, what what did that enable you to do, I guess, like as a writer where it's just like, cool, I have this, as we talked before, like there's this kind of like set of characters and we have our archetypes, but now like, let's get them all twisted <laughs> and, I think that, yeah. you know, kind of try to get them back from there. I think a little bit of it is like kind of what we talked about with Star Wars a little bit. It's like like you were saying how you felt like some things are so black and white when you see certain films or you're reading certain things. And I think that a lot of our, our like a lot of these stories, like like we look at Wizard of Oz and it's really, it is told in this way where it's like, well, the, the Wicked Witch is super evil and she's, gonna, you know, she's trying to kill Dorothy, but it's like she's just trying to get her sister's magic back. Like honestly, right. there's like, there is like, there is another perspective, like, and I think that's what Gregory Maguire did really well with Wicked, and probably I'm sure that is like one of the reasons why I got to write this book because he kind of started that investigation of like what else, you know, what are these motivations for these characters? I've always been like curious about those other characters and fairy tales and stories, and and wanting to know like how did they get there? Like my next um, book that comes out next month is Wish of the Wicked, and it's a it's a fairy tale. It's a fairy godmother origin story, and it's like my question for myself was like, why is why is the fairy godmother there to help Cinderella? Like, what is her backstory? What what if it's not so sweet? Like, I think I've always been curious about like, yeah, shifting the lens, and I don't think that any person is completely good or completely evil as and any character. And I think that it's interesting to explore the darkness and the light and. And that every person has those moments where they have to choose, like, to be good. And and sometimes people make the wrong choices and sometimes people make mistakes. And I think that that part of it is just that. Like, I think I, I'm interested in that journey and seeing, like, how did we get there? And, and I think that in real life, there's, like, there's moments that are heightened and moments where you make choices. But in, in, in books and film and, and you have, like, these moments that are even bigger in some ways, like you like life or death things that happen that would never happen, you know, in real life. So, so just like putting your character in that situation and seeing what they would do. Right. Cause there's kind of like a danger to having a character that is just all good. Right. Like even, even Superman at his very best is bestest is like not, there still is always like a certain awareness, I guess, of himself in the best Superman stories. So I'm thinking about that a little bit too, because it's like we do maybe have like that that interest of being like, what if, you know, Dorothy does make a mistake? Like, because the, the stakes are so high for a character like Dorothy, right? Because so right. like there's so much of Oz tied to her. It almost becomes like a Jean Grey Phoenix thing or something, right? Where it's just like the danger of Jean Grey being so, so good is is that if something goes wrong, if she makes a mistake, then everything goes wrong. Everything. <laughs> and so right. there's a danger to it in, as storytellers. Like we don't necessarily want to portray a character that is totally incorruptible because it just isn't really believable. But then also... You don't want to convince yourself that you are incorruptible either, I think, because it's like, 
if you go through life and be like, well, my intentions were good. So what else could I do or something? And it's just like, okay, but here's like the trail of bodies in your wake, right? And you're just kind of like, cool, because like your intentions, it turns out, actually don't really matter that much. Um, And so having something, you know, like the story of Oz, obviously, I like just absolutely love that story. It's also something where it's just like, and a happy ending was enjoyed by all or whatever. And of course, there's follow ups to that book. So that's a simplified version. But say, you know, Dorothy gets her way. She goes back to blah, 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 as you say. And it's just kind of this thing of like, yeah, but like at that point, Dorothy and Oz are really tied together in this way that I think is hard to break. And so I appreciate that there is a greater exploration of that because it's just like it would be really hard to go back to a day-to-day life as you as you imagined. Right. And I think that was it was just that was like my jumping off point and 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 making her not be perfect anymore, because I feel like anyone who went through those things would be a little screwed up and there's no therapy in 1939 you know <laughs> she's not gonna yeah. go and uh I, and so what if she like what if she really does screw up and maybe there's still like but that even though I made her screw up royally um I think I still like left room for redemption and I think that that's always important in these stories oh, too. For sure. <laughs> There's good reasons not to always empathize with Dorothy through the story. But yes. I will say that I don't, like, hate her, I guess. You know, it's like there's parts where it's, like, more so sometimes than others. But, you know, it is definitely one of those things. I still can tell that it's Dorothy, right? Like, it's not oh, necessarily God. a character that just, like, went off the rails or something. Right. It seems I mean, like there she, is. Yeah, she totally went off the rails, but there's, like, but, there's still hope for her. Yeah, and there was like a trajectory. It wasn't just off the rails all of a sudden one day. (laughs) It takes time. Because it's like the ego too, right? Because it's like everybody's just like, well, you saved like everything because you're just so good. Like you're just so good. And then it's just like, if you believe that about yourself, then you're just like, I'm so good. Why is everybody else so messed up? <laughs> like, right. the world is still a problem. I guess that must be everybody else's problem or whatever. And it's just like, uh, that's where that's where we go wrong, I think, in our own heads. Um, but yeah, I was interested too because the witch like there's just so much about uh, Oz where as I said it is very much a horror story but it's also such like a visually compelling horror story because it's like when you watch for instance like the Judy Garland movie it just has like these scenes that you just will never get out of your head you know it's like the um I believe there's a is there a black and white version because I've only ever seen a colorized version I'm sure that there's a big story behind this but um I think it was one of the first um, movies that really like used Technicolor all color, right? That like, so, yeah. That's what I thought. So I was thinking that with, like, the the witch's, like, bright green, you know, and stuff like that, it's, like, she's very scary. She's very campy at the same time. And also it's just, like, kind of visually so stunning. And obviously horror has such a, mm, such a long history of just these uh, – these, kind of uh, flash in the pan moments like there will be just like a second in a horror film or something that you just never forget in your life and I kind of feel the same way about Wizard of Oz and I believe maybe that's why it might be one of the like one of the perfect adaptations 
And it was like, of course, that's coming from a biased place because I had watched it at such a young age. But um, so it's just canon for me. I'm like, nope, that's great. I loved it whenever I was five and I'll love it today. <laughs> but I was thinking about how pretty it is, I guess, and how still it manages to be really scary. Um yeah, and I guess like horror, horror and Halloween, it's all very aesthetically pleasing, isn't it? <laughs> like, and, and yeah, I think there's that dichotomy of like there's this beauty there, and then there's the scariness underneath. And I think that that like like I think there's like kind of in some ways there's like two different like usually usually like if you're watching a horror movie, there's some gorgeous girl and this really scary thing that's coming at her. Like there's something like we do we do play with that, and I think it's like when you have those. I think the thing about Oz is that it's so beautiful and so perfect looking, but underneath there's all this scary stuff and some right. of it's on the surface. And I think the same way for like the best horror movies, it's like you start out with something kind of picturesque and then you tear it down like Midsommar or like, mm-hmm. um, or even like, like even Friday the 13th, like you're happy and you're at a camp and then all of a sudden there's <laughs> a bad thing happening. And like, I think it's, there's always like kind of this placidness and then you introduce the horror and, I think that works on every level. It's like from Megan or it's like the cute doll that becomes a scary doll or like whatever it is. Like you start out with the beauty or the the comedy or the lightness and then you jump scare, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. I agree with you. I was thinking too that Megan was really fun, but were there have there been any other um, horror films recently that you've enjoyed? I have not seen anything. <laughs> I got to say, I've been and. You know this from talking yeah. to me. I have been in like my book cave. So I have not seen a movie and like or anything. <laughs> I haven't seen I in terms of doll movies, my next movie is Barbie. I'm going oh, to watch yeah. it in the next couple of days. I have not seen it yet. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, that this so will be I, one that you enjoy. <laughs> yes. So that is my I've on a reward system. I have not watched. <laughs> so do you have a hard recommendation for me? Anything that's new? Oh, yeah. Good question. Um, I think that the last thing maybe I saw was like the very newest Scream. Um, I was doing like a Shudder marathon for much of the year. So if there's something on Shudder, chances of me having seen it are pretty high. I thought Bone, the what was it? The Bone Woman. There's like a movie called The Bone Woman that's about this uh, woman who's trying to get pregnant. She gets pregnant. There's haunted visions, uh, creepiness all over it. And everybody starts to be like, I don't know if she's like, okay. (laughs) And (laughs) that's basically like the movie. That one I thought was really good. Um, For me, it's, it's kind of endless. Like I'll be able to just like list movies forever. I thought that that one was great though. And honestly, I liked the new Scream. Speaking of like, you know, ongoing franchises that kind of um, you know, are able to just have this kind of incredible longevity because now we're on like, you know, a whole new cast of characters, but it's still going. I remember watching the first one when I was like 13 or something like that, 12, 13. Because and it, being like a 12 year old at that time, like that movie was huge. Like everybody who was like a teen girl that I knew was like, I like horror now. <laughs> like we're all horror fans now. You know, people who you wouldn't have been able to get to watch like a slasher with you to save their lives. Like they would not do it. Um, would be like, yes, now like we've got Sarah Michelle Geller. You know, I know what you did last summer. Scream, you know, all of these um, movies. So I guess like watching kind of the newest Scream was just like 
weirdly heartwarming, <laughs> I guess. Oh, I, I, could, I feel like some nostalgia for Scream. Like, I remember seeing that first movie and loving it and thinking the second one was, they were all, they were great and they're fun and they're campy. And it's another one of those ideas where it's like, why hasn't someone done this already? Like, I love things like that. So I definitely want to see it. I love Jenna Ortega from oh, Wednesday, yeah. which yeah. I thought was just so, like, well done. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Yes. So also before, because we're getting later in the interview, so I want to make sure that we give the due course. I'm sure you actually maybe don't want to talk about the book that you just just turned in. It sounds like that last week was pretty rough, but um, like this is the first, I can only assume the first of a series, which like maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, I'm curious, you know, we talked about how it was like fairy godmother. Let's explore the story a little bit more. Cinderella is another story that seems very like rife with uh, possibilities of kind of delving into stuff because you're just like, wait a second, like Cinderella is just perfect, but like she was like abused through her entire childhood or whatever. It's like any, any, I wasn't perfect as a kid. I'll say that, you know, or whatever. But um, yeah, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about it. Obviously, you can't tell us everything because it will still be on. Is it on pre-order now? Yeah, so Wish of the Wicked um, is coming out in uh, three weeks. And the, I was working on the sequel. So the sequel, I was, so it was the, the book two was kicking my butt. And it's I done see. now. So yeah, so the, and I'm happy to talk about the first one because that went much easier for me. Um, <laughs> okay. But, yeah, so, but basically I wanted to, to talk about who the fairy godmother was because I always wondered like what is she doing there and what if what if maybe her past wasn't so sweet and right. I was thinking that what if all of the fairy tale bad girls like the evil queen um were all part of the same sect like all the stepmothers all the mm. you know all the all the all the the villains of the stories what if they were all part of the same coven and they were witches and they were persecuted and because of that they they, that's why they're out seeking revenge. And so the fairy godmother used to belong to the exact same sect, but she was separated from them. And she has to, she reunites with them and she realizes what they're doing. And she has to decide whether or not she's going to help them or whether she's going to save the world, basically. And so I, um, that was like where the idea came from. And then just like, you know, figuring out how Cinderella fits in and how everybody else fits in. And I, so I made, um, one of her aunts is like the step, the wicked stepmother to Cinderella, and and weaving all those characters through was it. It's a lot, but it was really fun, and I really liked writing the first one, and I'm done with the second one, um, and it comes out in like three weeks. It's called Wish of the Wicked. Um, I do hope you guys check it out. It's it is fun. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I am very excited to hear. I was just like, you have written a lot of stuff. <laughs> and I'm just like very thrilled because I always love a writer who I can just kind of keep jumping back in on, Aww. you know, and be like, oh, well, a couple of years have passed. I know that Daniel's probably written another book, you know, or something by that time. Um, but so I want to talk a little bit about this because it sounds exactly like my exact complete jam. So <laughs> I'm actually surprised that I've missed this one. But I'm thrilled to hear about this. Um, I was going to say that kind of the the cabal of witches kind of situation, I was like, honestly, that really doesn't come out of nowhere, though, right? Because it's like, you have um, in the in all of like the original like Grimm stories or whatever. And um, I'm not sure I'm guessing you've read like the some of the originals. And I know that that's not even the originals, right? Because it was like, right, all based on folk tales. So it's just kind of like a gathering, I guess, of 
stories that they kind of changed and like apparently lightened a little bit, but those stories are still pretty messed up. <laughs> so, right. But I was going to say that a lot of those, like the witches of the story, they get some very intense punishments in those stories, right? Like it'll be like, oh, well, she tried to like make a bid for power and therefore she will suffer for eternity. We did all of this horrible stuff to her. Um, you know, like just the things that I would not be able to come up with in my own brain, I guess. Like, right, like yeah, like Cinderella, the original, ver- one of the original versions, like birds peck the the uh, stepmother's eyes out at the end. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, what could you have done to deserve that? I mean, I get that you're evil, but like, woof, that's rough. Yeah. And then I was thinking too that like, the idea of them kind of working together at that point almost becomes like an optimistic thing, right? Because you're just like, well, I hope that they had somebody to hang out with behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. A lot of those original stories where it's just like, man, they really like went to the nines punishing this woman for like doing some bad things. But like the kings are like fighting wars and stuff. So I'm pretty sure that they're doing horrible things too. Right. So. And there's like a lot of the culture just, I mean, it's a marriage-based culture. Like the women have to marry to survive. And like there's so much, like there's so there's a lot going on there that I thought was interesting. So I, I in my book, I decided to make it a matriarchy instead of a patriarchy so that every king is, every kingdom is a queendom. And, and like, and I played with that and it was just like, like playing with a, a society where I, having watched all the Game of Thrones and read stuff, I'm like, I'm so sick of this, you know, and yes. like to try something else. So, and, and I still having like the women make their own very different mistakes, I thought was interesting. Um, so you have like this queen society. And on top of that, you have this group of women who are witches, who, who were, supposed to be helping the queens and then they get persecuted by a queen who doesn't like it so Mm. I like I kind of set that up as my my beginning and from there it goes in a lot of different directions but it was you know it's it's a big you know fantasy world and which I there you know it's a lot but it's it's fun Oh, I love this. Yeah, this is really fun for me because I'm like, I was wondering which book of yours I was going to read next. And now well, I will send you this one. <laughs> oh, woo. I'm so thrilled. That's going to be the greatest. Thank you for offering that. Yeah. I, I get some free books in my job as a podcaster and it never gets old. I got to tell you, <laughs> if somebody sends me a book, I'm going to read every page of that book. Oh my God. I love getting books. It's like, it is one of like, I, as a reader, like you, once you start doing like what you're doing or what I'm doing, like people send you stuff and it's, that's amazing. (laughs) I know. Yeah. You're just like, oh, thanks for this beautiful book that you worked really hard on. (laughs) Like, that's amazing. (laughs) And then it's like, you always have a nice one. Like, oh yeah, I got that whenever Danielle, like we did this like Halloween episode, (laughs) like whatever. I always like to have a little story too, to like the books on my shelves. Right. So it's nice. It's always nice. That makes me happy. Oh, and I do have one more Archie comics thing. I don't, I think it's already announced. I'm doing um, a Sabrina's aunt story. I am so thrilled. So you said that that's coming out. Is it this month? It'll be in December. I think it might be November. I'll have to check. It's the Spellman. Uh, it's like the uh, Christmas Sabrina issue. Yes. Um, and I can I see if I can find it on my phone and see what the... T- I should know the title of it. But I, <laughs> mine is... Um, I think mine's called the Spellman Sisters, but it's part of um, another... It's part of the oh, Sabrina Holiday Special. Yes, 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 yes. I love a oh, holiday I, special. I, yeah. 
and I've been pitching this forever. <laughs> like I've been trying to get a story for the aunts. So I'm so excited to fight. So it's the aunts are flashing. They're telling Sabrina a Christmas story and they flash back to when they're teenagers and they have their own story. And so it just, it, it is my favorite thing that I've gotten to write. Mm-hmm. Like for, I've been, I want it to be a full comic one day. Like I'm begging uh, yes. the world to make it a thing, but I think I that they can have this their pitch. own, I think <laughs> like, they should have their own TV show. I am like, I am trying. Um, because I think that just, they made Sabrina and they're so yeah. fun and they're part of our, you know, like, I mean, I love the, I love the Sabrina TV show, um, the Teenage Witch show. And I love Chilling Adventures. Like I like every incarnation of the aunts and I want to know who they were when they were young. Yeah. Cause in the Archie, I mean, in, <laughs> in TV, they're smoking hot. Like there's that, but in the, uh, comic for a long time they were like here's our frumpy witch dresses and we have one has like green hair the other has like orange hair you know and all of this they're not necessarily supposed to be like really hot I guess like they're supposed to be like kind of her like out there weirdo aunts and I think that there's something really cool about that they they look more like like uh Mennonites or something right than what yes. happens now because now we have like hottie hottie like <laughs> aunts. yes but I would take I would yeah I would tell their story either way but I, yeah. I like the hot aunts but like yeah I I, I just I'm curious about like how like the idea that they, even the, like the stuff that's implanted in the TV show and the stuff that's in the comics, like there's so much good stuff there. And like, and the fact that they raised a half witch, half human, like, I don't know, like, I want to see that world. Yeah, I love the aunts. I'm so glad to hear this. I have to pick this up immediately. Um, I, yeah. And of course, any, any incarnation, same with me. I totally love all of it. I love it when it's silly. I love it when it's a little bit extra scary, like the Chilling Adventures was. Again, another comic that just like benefited so much from having that kind of Archie horror reboot because once they started doing Chilling Adventures, I think that that really put Sabrina back in the zeitgeist like very effectively because back in the day, like, you know, even when you read like, I don't, uh, well, I won't uh, make assumptions, but I was like in the first Sabrina story, which I tracked down and read at a certain point, it's such like a well, I'm a modern witch and, and kind yes. of, and it's like the 60s. So it's funny, right? It's like when you read like the modern stories, but it's like, hey, it's the 60s now or like whatever, you know, it's just always kind of funny. But yeah, she always had this kind of like very hip, very with it kind of vibe. And then I, so I think that like every time they've kind of revamped her and just been like, oh, she's in this era now. Um, this is something that came up in the Jamie Rutante episode too, is like there's certain archetypes of characters that Archie has just nailed so well that you can drop them truly pretty much anywhere and be like, well, this is the vibe now. And in the 90s, it was like, literally, she's just like, isn't there an episode, I think, where she's like sad that she can't make like the Smashing Pumpkins concert or something. She's like trying to get to a Smashing Pumpkins concert. It's so funny. And then now it's like... um, now we get more of like a Netflix horror vibe, right? And I just think yes. that all of those different takes on her really, really work. Um, and I'm I'm thinking that maybe you agree. <laughs> I absolutely agree. And so like this version of her is like sweeter because it's part of a, a um, it's in the same book with a Kelly Thompson story, which hers is bigger than mine. Mine's a little story. So, but, but which Kelly's version of Sabrina is very sweet. And yeah. so this is like a, so it's the aunts are sweet, but there's a little bit of edge because you, the, the aunts are a little bit edgier than the, 
than Sabrina in some ways. Oh, they're so good. And they like now they're in the newest series, they have that like Cain and Abel vibe where like they're constantly, oh she's constantly so committing cool. murder or I, whatever. I love that so much. Yeah. I thought that they did such a great job. Oh, yeah, I think so. And Kelly Thompson did great uh, with the the Sabrina miniseries that have come out. Um, always just a great writer in general, but I think had oh, a I love specifically her. And I read those good... before I wrote this, and then I went back to, um, to like, all the old ones and read a ton of them. But I did not do a full rewatch of The, the Teenage Witch, which I should do. And I, I rewatched Chilling Adventures because I love it. Um, yes. But I should do the Melissa Joan Hart again. <laughs> Honestly, it holds up pretty good. I was, I haven't done, like, a full rewatch, but I watched some of the episodes pretty recently, I think about a year ago, maybe two years ago. And I was just like, honestly, it's still good. <laughs> like, I love this. <laughs> Really fun. Salem's hilarious. I mean, aunts are great. Gotta love the aunts. I mean, that that series in specific, it's the aunts show. Like, they're what you're watching for pretty much. So I'm going to definitely rewatch that and continue to beg for another issue. But I really love writing this. Yeah, approved. Like I, I'm, I approve your pitches. I think that we should send it right to the press. Like I, <laughs> I'm so thrilled about this. Like I mean, yeah, and it's like, oh, cool. We're like kind of at the end of the interview, but I was like, oh, now can we just do another interview about Sabrina? <laughs> so, so because we're already planning it, that means that the comic has to happen. So yes, I mean, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, so they definitely have a story in this issue. So it's a start, and I'm gonna keep begging for it. <laughs> yes, and if anytime you need a secondary beggar, I will beg also. Um, I am thrilled to read the story that you wrote, and I'm so glad. It's like so wonderful to hear uh, somebody who has a good affection for those characters because as I think that they're it's kind of same as a lot of these characters. They get kind of dismissed, kind of pushed to the background sometimes, and it's like every it's always about Sabrina. I like Sabrina a lot, but I think that the ants really are where it's at. I do too. I think they're so much fun. And I love Sabrina too. So yes, I, I'm Sabrina's you. fun. Um, <laughs> definitely. Like Sabrina's here to weigh it all down, right? Because <laughs> yes. who do who do they love other than Sabrina? Like they it's like uh they have to have Sabrina to love. They can't necessarily it's like, yes, they should have their own series, but even if they had their own series, Sabrina would be all over that series because they both care about her so much. Right. Uh, but I would really love to do like a show of them in the past. Like this mm-hmm. my version some as teenagers. So I yes. would love to just and then maybe you would flat like you could do flashbacks to the like flash forwards to the future. But I would really love it to be like just theirs. I'm so obsessed with this. Okay, yes, I want this immediately. I'm glad at least we'll get a clip of it. But so I guess my last one, because we know what's coming out from you. We know, uh, you know, usually this is like the time of the interview where I'm like, oh, so like, what do you have coming up on the horizon? Well, you just told me. So yes. um, to wrap everything up, I want to ask you one last question. Yes. And that's basically just that, like, you know, I've seen you delve into like a lot of different parts of like nerd culture, you know, like Star Wars, Archie, you know, Oz, all of these things now, like, you know, new fairy tales, etc. But I'm curious, is there something that you haven't done yet? Yet that you've been really wanting to do not necessarily like obviously we just talked about like the <laughs> we know that the Spellman sisters comic is like the pitch that you're like waiting to do but as a creator and kind of like as a vibe is there something that you have been kind of looking into that you have like not quite had the opportunity to like jump into um a couple of things like I I'll I really would love to write something adult that is like 
maybe TV or something again. Like I started out with TV. So I think I'd love to get back in that space. I have a superhero idea that's like my own idea that I'd love to explore. Um, I have a royal idea that I've been working on for an audio thing that um, I don't know where it's, what's going to happen with that. Um, and I don't know. I feel like I, I think television or film, I'd like to write something on screen because I think that my first love still um, is dialogue. So it's either oh, comics yeah. or um, TV for me that comes easier. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And again, pitches approved. I will take all of this. And I have one more Oz story that I want to tell so I know we're coming up on like the 10 year for Dorothy. Right. So I kind of like want to like pitch this idea I have and see where it goes. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. You're like, listen, Oz, I'm not done with you yet. Yes. <laughs> like I'm coming back to Oz. Well, I feel like Gregory Maguire just released another Oz book. So I'm like, I'm allowed to do another Oz book. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah and i'm sure that like the the fandom of dorothy must die will be very appreciative of this i hope because... so i hope so so that's why that's thought <laughs> yeah because it has like a great fandom around it it's like kind of amazing honestly like uh to have like kind of such like a good vibes fandom Aww, it's like they're they're you. rare across genre right whereas like you'll get somebody who's like uh you know, I mean, yeah, we just talked about how much we love Star Wars. Star Wars fans can be a bit contentious, right? <laughs> so it's like, I, from what I've seen, and I don't want to speak for you because you would know better than I, but from what I've seen, the Dorothy Must Die fans are just like, yes, more books. <laughs> we just I've love it. really been so lucky with that. I was, again, like just the day before it came out, I was like, oh no, what did I do? But I've, I've gotten <laughs> nothing, but I've gotten nothing but love, honestly. So I've been very, very lucky. Wonderful. Okay. Danielle, thank you. This It's like an interview that was a long time in the making in a way yes. that I think made it be just so perfect when it finally did happen. So my philosophy in life is like that basically things happen and the moments that you can do them the best. And I think Aww. that we just like absolutely destroyed this interview. <laughs> so. well, this was, it was so much fun to talk to you and I hope we do it again. Yeah, I hope so too. And trust me, listen, if you do that Spellman sisters, you are coming back, right? Like okay. <laughs> we I'm gotta talk it about out it there again. to the world to hopefully make it happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like we've already got the interview booked. So like we've gotta start promoting this baby. If that comes out, then a hundred percent we're doing it. But then also, of course, we're gonna go ahead and share, you know, the book when it comes out. As I said, it's nice. Like you're one of those writers where it's like I haven't read everything. I love that I haven't read every single book yet because it gives me time and like I get to just keep getting back into it. And that's like Aww. that's the vibe that I like. I like a prolific writer. <laughs> so I appreciate all of the work that you do. I'm, uh, you know, I could have said this at the beginning of the interview, but I'm a huge fan of. So I I wanted to interview you maybe like three years ago. Wonderful that it finally got to happen. So again, Aww. of course, thank you so much for being here. And of course, everybody, you got to pick up Danielle's books. But would you uh, go ahead and let people know if they would like to follow you where that should happen? And also, um, specifically, the next book that you have coming out, what's like the pre-order details on that? Um, so I am at Danielle M. Page on Instagram and Twitter, X, whatever you're going to call it, and on uh, threads. And I'm on TikTok, but I don't remember what it's called now. Because <laughs> I just, I've got to start doing that more. Uh, but you can get uh, the, you can get the Wish of the Wicked anywhere. And the pre-order, for, for pre-order, like anywhere books are sold. If you check out my Instagram account, there's a link that you can go to to get the, there's a 
you can get a pen when you buy the book. But if you just want to buy the book, you can buy it anywhere. Um, and um, it's like bookstores, Target, everywhere. <laughs> Oh, yes. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you. Um, There was a pretty fair amount of horror in here, but I just loved that we got to delve into all of the different genres, all of the different franchises that you've worked in. And I just look forward to more to come, I guess. Um, I wanted to say thank you to the to the co-hosts that are not here today, Essie Flinor and Monica Estrella Negra. And also I wanted to say thank you to the sound editor, Kate Warner. Thank you, Kate. And thanks to, of course, listeners like you, 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 and you, listener. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for being here. And uh, yeah, thanks, especially to you, Daniel. Like, thank you for being here. Thanks for making the time. And thanks for being so communicative, like throughout the process of scheduling. <laughs> well, I appreciate the, you waiting for me and being so patient. I was finishing a book, you guys. Um, yes. So much, it was so much fun. <laughs> yes, I had a great time too. All right, everybody have a wonderful rest of your day or morning, evening, night, whatever time it is when you listen to this. You're listening to Bitches on Comics, distributed by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Find more shows like Bitches on Comics by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at BitchesOnComics and on Instagram at at BitchesOnComics. Our website is, brace yourself, BitchesOnComics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. (laughs) Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the podcast by joining us on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash queerspec to learn more. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. I'm Monica Estrella and you can find me at www.audreysrevenge.com or on Twitter at Audrey Revenge. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.